Welcome to Torah from Temple of Aaron in St. Paul, Minnesota. Here is the place to hear much of the great sermons, teachings, and speakers happening each week at our synagogue. Whether you are able to make it in person or not, each week you will find new Jewish content to inspire, motivate, and bring meaning to you wherever you find yourself. I hope you enjoy the teaching and feel free to contact us anytime about it by calling us at 651-252-6411 or emailing us at Rabbi Marcus Rubenstein at templeofaron.org. Enjoy and we hope to see you soon. No, I lived in Israel for two years uh, in rabbinic school and Israel, um, the reality of living in Israel and specifically Jerusalem uh, is like my a second home for me. Time, I'm sure I'll hopefully take you uh, all at some point to Israel on a synagogue trip or something like that, and you'll see that I, I need no map in Jerusalem. It's uh, my second home. I love, I love Israel. Um, and it was interesting when I would come back both times. I would come back uh, from Israel, and of course, what would people say to me both before and after? Um, How can you go to Israel? It's a war zone over there. It's too dangerous. You're going to see danger everywhere you are. It's going to be a horrible place to be. And of course, was it a horrible place to be? Was it dangerous to be? Absolutely not. Anyone who's been to Israel, you know, uh, you're probably safer in Israel than uh, in at least in Green Green uh, Greenland, Israel. Uh, green Greenland, Green Point, Green Line, Green Line, Green Line. Rabbi Rachel's uh, mouthing for me from the back as usual. So, thank you. Um, if you're in Greenland, Israel, it feels very, very safe. I would say it actually feels more safe than when I used to walk around Times Square as a kid in New York City. It feels probably safer there than New York City. Um, so it really, the everyday reality of living in Israel was not the danger of terrorism, and uh, although certainly it was there. Um, the true tension and the true danger you saw and, and was an everyday apparent reality living there was the tension between Jew and Jew right? Between each other. Um, the hatred um, that a, the secular Israeli in Jerusalem had for the ultra-Orthodox was palpable. Um, it was uh, on fire with hatred um, for a whole bunch of different reasons. And of course, the hatred that the ultra-Orthodox had for the secular was also extremely, extremely harsh. The hatred that the Likudnik had uh, for, at least at the, at the time, there was the party called Avodah, Labor, remember that party? Um, uh, the, the hatred that Israelis had for each other um, of different political persuasions or religious persuasions, what have you, was so fierce um, that they wouldn't even talk to each other. I remember... Um, I would walk around with a kippah on my head because I was a rabbinic student, as I do now, and um, I would go to a bar and drink, and of course I was single at the time, uh, Rabbi Rachel Earmuffs, um, you know, I would try to uh, talk to women at the bar, um, and I, I would notice that no one, none of them talked to me, which unfortunately was not unusual, um, uh, <laughs> but... Um, but uh, after a while, it got ridiculous. No one would talk to me, and I didn't understand why. I didn't get it. I, you know, I didn't understand. And I realized eventually the reason the women weren't talking to me is because they were secular Israelis. And they saw the keep on my head, and they said, I'm not talking to that person. Because in Israeli society, if you wear a yarmulke, that means you are religious. And that means you are categorically separate in all ways from a secular Israeli. And that secular Israelis do not interact with religious Israelis. And that's the way it was. 
And it was really scary. And I realized that, wow, they're not talking to about 40% of their society because of their religion. And by the way, same way the other way, I was kind of caught catch-22, which uh, religious Jewish girl wanted to really talk to a reform rabbinic student in Israel? None, I'll tell you that immediately. So it really, it was caught me off guard about how Jews just don't talk to each other in Israel about some of the most central elements of life. And of course, you could say the same thing about America as well, that we don't talk to each other enough across political lines, religious lines, what have you. Um, but it was very, very apparent as the central tension that we found throughout Israel, that I found throughout Israeli society. And of course, uh, for that reason, Jews not talking to each other, Jews not trying to understand each other and have empathy for each other and standing together is one of the central reasons we find ourselves at this conflict where we are right now in Israeli society, where we're battling, where there's massive, massive protests like we've never seen before in Israel over a judiciary reform bill um, that's being passed by the current Netanyahu, that is at least trying to be passed by the Netanyahu government. Um, if you want to learn more about the bill, we're going to talk about it after services today, but on one leg, the, the bill basically says that the Supreme Court of Israel no longer has power to overturn laws passed by the legislature. In Israel, the Supreme Court is a, a body um, that is chosen um, by a legal body. It's not really chosen by elected representatives, uh, sort of similarly, at least in our country, it's chosen by uh, the president who's elected. Um, there, it's not even chosen by an elected authority. Um, and for that reason, and so the Supreme Court starting in about 1995 started having the power to, to uproot laws that were passed by the legislature. The only problem with that sounds good to us as Americans because that's what we're used to. The only problem with Israel is how does the Supreme Court in America legislate and uproot laws? Where do they get that authority from? The Constitution, right? And they only can uproot laws that are in violation of that Constitution. Is there a Constitution in Israel? No Constitution in Israel. So how is the Supreme Court um, overturning laws? We don't really know. It depends on the judge. Um, and the only, and of course now in the Knesset, um, a member can pass a law and say on the bottom in a disclaimer, the Supreme Court cannot overturn this law, and well, that makes it so that the Supreme Court cannot overturn the law, right? Because well, it's one legislation versus another legislation. There's no higher legislation. It's all legislation. It's not, there's no constitution. We have a big, big problem. Um, but of course, the Supreme Court tended to rule like America did in terms of about the Bill of Rights, about um, human rights. And of course, so now it's something where the rightist government is now trying to take away the power of the Supreme Court. Um, it seems, uh, according that it's taking these human rights away from individual Jews. And of course, that's a major, major issue and a major problem. And that's what um, really has Israelis up in arms right now and protesting on the streets against this. Of course, both sides are, are, are very problematic. If you're on the right and you think you want to just take away the Supreme Court so that the legislature can just make any law and there's no protection for the citizens of Israel, right, that's a real problem. Right? That's a really bad problem. And so we don't want to create that problem, which is why this legislation is extremely problematic. But on the other side, 
right, on the, on the, the, the protesters' side, it's also really problematic as well because the current state, the status quo right now, is also extremely problematic and it can get very political very, very fast and no one wants a partisan Supreme Court. In America, we know that, right? We don't want a partisan Supreme Court. And so, in the end, there's problems with both sides of this major argument. Yet over and over again, we see in this country that either you support democracy or you don't. And if you don't support this, you're not going to support democracy. And if you, you know, we hear these black and white statements that are completely off base. Um, and of course, I was dared to talk about Israel by the, uh, a very important newspaper that everyone loves, the New York Times. Um, there was an op-ed uh, by a famous op-ed writer, Thomas Friedman, who American rabbis to speak about Israel, saying, and his article was titled, American Jews, you have to choose on Israel, right? Okay, all right, here I am. Thomas, I'm here. We're talking about it. It's happening right now. But I think maybe a different choice is in order than the one that Thomas suggests, based on our Torah portion this week. You see, in our Torah portion this week, in what we just read now, there were two specific commandments given to the Kohen before they entered the Oha Moed. There were two specific commandments. What were they that we read this week? Does anyone know? We read it. We read it. We read it. I should have bonus points. We should have a quiz or something. What were the two things that the Kohen needed to do before they entered the Oha Moed? Wash their hands, what we would call netilat yadayim, right? Washing their hands before they serve. And the second one? was written right afterwards. I'll, I'll put feet and hands together, but yes, Gail, 100%, right? What was the second one? Incense. They had to walk in with the incense offering. So we saw that detailed as well in our parts this week. And what I'm going to say today is that those two mitzvot, those two instructions for the Kohen are instructive of how each and every one of us should walk in our everyday life and how we serve God and also, of course, frame the issue of how we should think about Israel at this point in time. You see, the mitzvah of washing one's hand before entering the tabernacle was not about having clean hands, okay? It wasn't about wiping the schmutz off your hands, right? That's not what it was actually about. What it actually was about was sanctifying your hands, right, for the service, so that you weren't, as a Kohen, just going inside the Oho Moed or to offer the sacrifice, yeah, this is what I do every day, this, I'm just hungry, so I want to eat some meat, so I'm going to go in the Oho. No. Instead, you wash your hands symbolically to denote that we are going in for a sacred purpose. We're going in and doing the sacrifice for something that is super, super holy, to serve God. Right? And that this is something much higher than our normal lives, that we're doing something um, that's much more transcendent, much more holy, much more eternal. Number one. And of course, related to our time today and our discussion topic about Israel, I want to say, what would it be like if every politician, if every citizen in Israel was aware every single day of the holiness of what it is to live in the land of Israel, to create the state of Israel, to understand what they're doing every day is serving something so much higher than themselves, right? What happens if every Israeli understood that, and every certainly every Israeli politician, what happens if each American Jew understood that? That Israel serves a higher purpose, that serves something truly holy, that the point of the state of Israel ex existing is not only just for Jewish survival, but it's in order to serve God. It's a holy land. 
So everything we do there needs to be done with the utmost of holiness. It shouldn't be done in order to grab power or to win an argument or what have you, but it should be done for a holy, holy purpose. And I'm not, I don't think that everyone has that on their mind at all times. Are they all aware of what, of what power they have? And what would, how would Israeli society change? How would our discussion as American Jews change if we talked about Israel in the same way that the Kohanim had to enter the Ohel Ma'ed with that same value of holiness, with that same singular purpose of serving God? And of course, the second mitzvah that the Jewish people, were, the Kohanim, were given to enter the Ohel Moed in our parsha this week is the incense offering. The incense offering? Why do the Kohanim have to walk in with the incense in their hands? Well, over and over again, the Midrash, Hasidic sources, Kabbalistic sources, throughout tradition relate the incense to the entire Jewish people. Why? Because there was 11 different herbs and spices that were included as we studied in our Parsha class today that were needed in exact quantity um, in order to walk into the Oho Moed, right? And if you were even missing one of these spices, one of these scents, one of these ingredients, the incense would not be kosher. And literally the Kohen is liable for the death penalty for walking into the tent of meeting to do his job without this exact incense. Now why? Does God care about smells? Does God care about the exact ingredients of an incense? Of course, I think the case. I think what God cares about is every single Jewish person. What the incense is supposed to represent is the unification of all of the different kinds of Jewish people. That when the Kohen walked into the tent of meeting, they didn't just do so with purpose. They didn't do so just with an awareness that what they were doing was for God. But they walked in as a representative of the Jewish people, not just the Jewish people they liked, not just the Jewish people that lived like them or agreed with them, right, but every single different spice. There was actually literally one scent, one thing of incense that was supposedly specifically smelt terrible. And why was that included? To say that the Kohen even has to walk in with the Rishayim, that the Kohen even has to walk in holding the wicked person in their heart as well. And if the Kohen is missing just one of those people, one of those types of Jews, one of those people of God's children, they're liable for the death penalty. And they are not able to serve God. Actually, their service of God at that point without that incense is an abomination before the Lord. A Jew who comes to serve God, even if for the right purpose, but not while holding all the Jewish people in their heart, but trying to be empathetic and listen to each of the different kinds of Jewish people in this world is an abomination before the Lord. If you think you can serve God and not love the entire Jewish people, you are dead wrong. Dead wrong. And it's hard. And it's difficult. You have to deal and listen and be empathetic to people who you don't agree with and who might even hate your lifestyle. Right? True. Very, very difficult. Yet, that is the challenge in which God puts us forth towards. And of course, in Israel today, to go back to my incident at the bar, if we don't talk to each other, if we're unwilling to talk to each other, if we want to live in two separate worlds, then we can't live together. Then we can't, it, it will never work. We can never serve God together. And I think that's what comes down to the problem. We want to sort of go around each other. We want to avoid each other. We want to pass legislation that, well, ignores your concerns because your concerns aren't as important as my concerns. Not true. You can't serve God like that. It's an abomination before the Lord. 
And that's what we must demand from our Israeli politicians. That's what we must demand from the Israeli people. That's what we must demand from each and every one of us here in America today. That's because that's what God demands. Not me, but that's what God demands. And you might say, well, what happens if so many of the Jews are being wicked and being evil and being wrong and what they're doing is wrong? Well, we only again have to look to our Parsha. Moshe was faced in our Parsha, we didn't read it this week, with the golden calf, where the Jewish people were worshiping the golden calf. And, of course, Moshe was extremely concerned. And he did. He shattered the tablets. He punished them. He exorciated them. He, he did whatever he could to change the situation. But when he came back to God again, and God offered him and said to him, you know, the Jewish people are terrible. They're awful. But you're really good. You're right. You go alone. Leave the Jewish people here. I'll destroy them, and we'll create a new people. What did Moses say? Absolutely not. I'm not moving one inch. I'm not going anywhere. And yes, I agree with you. The Jewish people did terrible transgression, but I love them, and they're my people, and they're your people, God, and we're not going anywhere. We're sticking together. And my friends, I think that's how we have to answer Thomas Friedman today. The choice that he puts out to American Jews, whether you're choosing between Israel or not, is a false dichotomy, of course. And I think the question is naive and honestly insulting. You know what I choose? I choose Israel. I choose the Jewish people, all of the Jewish people, and I choose God. We won't go alone. We won't leave Israel in the desert. And I hope, I hope to God, I pray every day that we as American Jews won't leave Israel in the desert either.